All right, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Heal Thyself. Man, I'm so psyched up to be doing this. Look, I look forward to every single Friday sitting here and doing this. Um, Look, it's become another job. It really has. But it's something that I love, so it's not even work. Um, Today's a good show. Today's a real good show. I'm going to be talking about some good stuff. Uh, I'm going to be talking about something that's consumed every day. All right. I'm going to teach you how to look for better, high-quality versions of that. And we got a very special guest. We got an amazing practitioner talking to us. So stay tuned because we're about to dive in deep. I want to, before I even get started on the show, talk about something crazy that's been going on this week. I mean, it's been going on for a little bit, but it's really been manifesting and we've been seeing the fruits of their labor uh, on how it's affecting the alternative and holistic industry. I knew this was coming. Come on. Um, So what we're seeing now is a lot of censorship in the uh, streams of education that are empowering people to learn more about what medicine is or what's out there or what healthcare is. So basically, a lot of search engines like Google are now changing the algorithm. So when you search for something like supplements, you'll you'll type in supplements and it will say supplements are, and all of the search query results will be bad, toxic, don't work. And that changed because they weren't like that. So what's happening is that all of the things in this healthcare industry are being censored, which is pretty intense thinking that we live in a place where free speech is supposed to be a right for all of us. So I I wanted to bring that to the surface because now we're seeing many of these websites having huge drops in uh, engagement, huge drops in uh, clicks, And um, a lot of these alternative websites are having their emails banned. So now they're not even being able to send emails. So they're really blacklisting and blackballing. Who's they? Um, I won't talk about it. You guys just research yourself and see. But um, yeah, the the censorship is real and it's happening. So I urge you all to go into um, alternative search engines. I use DuckDuckGo now where that is more of a... um, It's not tainted by industry, if if you know what I mean. Anyway, that was my quick piece before we get into this knowledge bomb. Let's get started. All right, for this knowledge bomb, I'm going to talk about something really important. Something really important because it is ubiquitous. Everybody drinks coffee. So why not talk about it? Is it good for me, Doc? Is it bad for me? What coffee should I be drinking? Um, I hear a lot of good things. I hear a lot of bad things, new studies, new this. Let's iron it out and let's find out if coffee is for us. Well, in the world, 400 billion cups of coffee are consumed per year. In the U.S., 64% of people drink coffee, 57% in 2016. So it's growing. It's actually steadily been growing for a little bit. Uh, And for the age group, For 25 to 39, 48% of people drink coffee. So 63% of the respondents said that they own their own drip coffee machine. So actually more people are making coffee at home than getting it outside of their home, which is surprising to me. I thought more people were getting it outside the home, but I'm not a coffee drinker. Um, And most, uh, the majority of people are drinking three cups on average. So uh, 82% are drinking it at breakfast, 40% at lunch, and then 13% of those crazy people are drinking it at night. I don't understand why. Uh, Yeah, no, but some people do, and that's okay. So coffee is chock full of caffeine, antioxidants, and diterpenes. All right, these are constituents in coffee that um, exhibit its therapeutic effect. So let's talk about some pros and cons. And let's, let's, let's put value on how strong these pros and how, con- how strong these cons are. So for the pros, coffee has been shown to be helpful for type 2 diabetes. Um, it's shown to decrease diabetes with each additional cup. Every additional cup of caffeine or decaffeinated coffee consumed in a day added uh, basically 9% or 6% lower risk in type 2 diabetes, respectively. So that's pretty cool. The study wasn't that strong as a prospective study, but it's just interesting to see how these antioxidants can help in blood sugar regulation. Um, there's, there's also some 
but not very strong data, but some data that coffee can be preventative for liver cancer, endometrial cancer, prostate cancer, some sorts of skin cancer, um, but neurological disease, we are starting to see more data on. For neurological disease, we see that coffee can actually have a protective effect against it, and I'll go a little bit into it more. Um, as far as cardiovascular disease, I mean, that's the number one killer, right? So we wanna know about it. Right now, it's believed, yeah, coffee helps cardiovascular disease at three to five cups a day and caffeinated or decaf. And basically what they saw was there's an inverse association with the total mortality or mortality from cardiovascular disease, meaning the more cups you're drinking, the, the lower your risk of cardiovascular disease. That's really cool because these antioxidants are, are exhibiting this therapeutic effect on the coronary arteries. And the studies for cardiovascular disease were initially in just a white population, but once it extended to other populations, it also held true for Americans, Japanese, Latinos. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, moving on, one thing that I'm big on, and you know, I, had a, I did a whole show on brain health. Um, I'm big on just longevity of our brain, cognition, making sure that we're always sharp. That's so important throughout life. Well, in the context of cognition with coffee, there was a European study that showed reduced cognitive decline in these elderly men. So over 10 years, they followed these men and they checked their... Uh, their status, their cognition status for those who drank coffee at different levels. And what they saw that the least amount of decline came from those folks in the older age who are drinking three cups of coffee. Really cool to hear. Um, so it was believed that uh, coffee in this sense was protective against Parkinson's due to the caffeine. Okay, but what they found out in uh, a newer study out of my alma mater, Rutgers University, uh, they found out that Basically, the, 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 the fatty coating, the waxy coating on the outside of the coffee bean, bean contains a derivative of serotonin. It's called EHT. And that derivative, when it's coupled with caffeine, actually was shown to prevent the formation of these deposits in the brain that cause Alzheimer. That's so cool. And it did it at, at, at a microscopic uh, enzymatic level, thinking that folks who are drink, drinking three cups of coffee are actually preventing Alzheimer's or dementia that's, that's a huge thing for me on my side, okay? So that sounded good, right? Why not drink more coffee? But what about the cons? What about the cons? There was a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. Now, randomized controlled trials, when you hear it, are the best designed studies. But what you want is a meta-analysis of all of them. So this is a gathering of all of those. And so it's pretty much the highest level study. What they saw over 12 randomized control trials is that coffee consumption over 45 days was associated with an increase in cholesterol, LDL, and triglycerides, okay? Which actually ironically predisposes you towards heart disease, but then I just talked about uh, coffee helping cardiovascular disease. Um, so it, it, it was shown to have uh, pronounced effects and it, it was specifically in folks who drank unfiltered coffee. That's the big difference, unfiltered coffee. Well, what's unfiltered? That's when it comes in a French press, espresso, Turkish, Greek coffee. All of those are unfiltered um, because what they find is when you're filtering it, it usually removes those constituents that are thought to be um, contributed to cholesterol, LDL, triglycerides. And then the other question is, you would think, if I say this, some of you might be, all right, well, what was in the coffee? Um, because what if there's milk and sugar? Of course, it's going to increase cholesterol, LDL, and triglycerides. But when that was controlled for and removed, it stayed the same, that there was, the, there was concern for um, elevation of these um, cardiometabolic uh, in indicators. So interesting to know. What about blood pressure? Well, it raises your blood pressure, but for a very short time, very dramatically, but very, for a very short time. Um, but any any studies on hypertension and, and, and coffee, that's kind of foggy. We don't really know that right now. One thing that um, I knew for quite a while is that there is some studies. Now, it, it's again a meta-analysis, meaning a gathering of all the studies, but there were observational studies, so not the strongest ones, but there is concern that coffee is connected to bladder cancer too. And the thought is because of um, some, of the, uh, some of the toxic uh, ingredients that come from the roasting process, like nitrosamines, heterocyclicamines, and PAHs. Um, but it also has other compounds, antioxidants that are built in there that can prevent cancer. And that's the controversy behind coffee because it has many different sides to it. Um, I think the really nice thing is that in these studies, they adjusted for the folks who were smoking. So uh, they, they removed that as a 
confounding result or, or a factor to this result. So regardless, yeah, maybe there is, if you have a predisposition towards bladder cancer, you have family history with it, then maybe cut down on the coffee. That's where I would say at least professionally at this point. Um, so let's think about it this way. If you have caffeine sensitivity, you're prone to jitteriness, prone to anxiety, prone towards insomnia um, or irritation or mood disorders, especially when you're drinking coffee, it's probably not for you. Okay, coffee doesn't necessarily dehydrate you. That's sort of an older myth. Um, it has a mild dehydrative effect, but not the way that we believed. Caffeine is broken down through the liver and it uses, it goes through a pathway of uh, enzymes called the CYP system. And what we see is that things, different factors can slow this down. So if you're sensitive to coffee, but you're drinking alcohol, know that alcohol decreases coffee clearance by about 36%. So if you're gonna be drinking alcohol, you had a cup of coffee and you're drinking a few hours later, that coffee's still gonna have its effect for quite a long time. The opposite is seen for smokers. But one thing we need to know is that we all break down coffee differently. Not everyone can drink two cups of coffee and have the same effects. And this holds true. You might know people drink two cups of coffee, they're doing fine, it's like they need another two. Other people drink two cups of coffee and they're wired and they're freaking out. And that's because there's genetic changes. And remember the system I talked about, that CYP system, some folks have an overactive one, some folks have an underactive one, other folks have uh, reduced sensitivity on receptors. So. Genetically speaking, just understand that if you cannot, if you drink a cup of coffee and you're getting jittery, it's, it's not necessarily in your head. It's, it may be that you have this genetic change and you can, you can test for that. The last part of this is the way coffee affects your adrenal glands. So basically what happens is when you drink caffeine, caffeine, the molecule goes to the brain and it, and it mimics this, uh, this, this molecule called adenosine. And adenosine is, is a calming, uh, it's calming to the system, right? It communicates in the brain and it tells the system, hey, slow down. It's what they call a CNS depressant. Uh, it's a central nervous system relaxant, all right? When we wake up, adenosine is rising, 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 and then it peaks at night and it's thought that this is part of the trigger for our sleep cycle to tell us to go to sleep, which is really cool. And then when we're sleeping, it decreases, 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 and then we wake up. So again, as we know, melatonin, cortisol, this, it all plays a role in the way we function throughout uh, the day for our sleep. So what happens is when caffeine in the brain binds to these receptors for adenosine, then adenosine doesn't get to do its job, and then that's increasing firing in the neurons in our brain. And then our pituitary gland in our brain is going, hey, what's going on around me? There's all this firing. I'm a little nervous. Let me tell the adrenal glands to shoot out the fight or flight hormones. That's the mechanism of how caffeine works on the brain. The problem is, is that when those adrenal glands are firing, right? If you're in a place where of, of stress already, and then you're forcing coffee down your system to wake up, right? It's always concerning when I hear someone say, I need my coffee or coffee wakes me up and then I can, or I can be able to. That's concerning because what's happening is you're already in a stress state. Your adrenal glands are already pushing that uh, epinephrine. And then when you're drinking coffee, you're forcing those glands to push out more. So this is my final recommendation. We hear all this awesome stuff about coffee. Am I a believer that coffee is more healthy than not? For sure. I, I do believe there's a lot of therapeutic benefit to coffee, really chock full of antioxidants, it's awesome. It's not for everyone, certainly not, and I spoke about genetically why. But we also need to pay attention to how we're drinking coffee. If we're drinking coffee, like I said, to wake us up, to get the day going, to be at work, to go to get through the day at work, then we have to rethink how we drink coffee. Coffee should be drank like a ritual. Coffee should be drank when we're calm. Coffee should not be needed ever, all right? So if you're listening and you're utilizing coffee that way, then go back and rethink how we can, how you can put yourself in a peaceful state, relaxed state, and then have your coffee. Because you should never be drinking coffee when you're already stressed, when you didn't get enough sleep. Because certainly if you didn't get enough sleep, your adrenal glands are firing already. You're drinking that coffee, you're putting more stress on your adrenal glands, you're digging yourself a hole. That 
is the way we should be drinking coffee, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's go to the product review. Look, it's really important to pay attention to coffee quality. I cannot stress this enough. Everyone drinks coffee, no one thinks about the quality. But if we understand that coffee is one of the most highly sprayed substances, then we can understand empowered through our education that we can make changes. So a few things to pay attention to in coffee. One of the number one things that not everyone talks about is heavy metals. We know that cadmium, chromium, copper, manganese, nickel, lead, zinc are all found in coffee. Well, some of those are minerals that we need, sure, but some of them we don't. And most of those are negligibly found, but lead isn't. Lead is in there. And lead is a neurotoxin. It affects children, gives them behavioral issues, learning disabilities. We know that adults, it can cause cognitive changes, memory changes, mood changes, blood pressure issues, kidney issues. So we have to pay close attention to the quality of coffee we're getting. Coffee, um, actually the, the Robusta um, form of coffee, what they, do, what they did in a study was they used those beans to suck up lead from water. So that should show you enough that those beans are already sucking up from the ground, lead. So pay close attention to that. And I'm gonna go into how, what to look for, um, what to ask to, to make sure that you're not having this in your coffee. Um, there's also some toxins that are formed in roasting. One's called acrylamide. It's supposed to be negligible in a cup of coffee. Um, acrylamide is, it does have a lot of um, effects on the body for sure. But what, what I always say is, we have to think about how things add in the body, right? Coffee is not something you have once in a while. Most people drink coffee every day. So if that's the case, then we have to start paying a close attention to uh, what, what is the constituents of the coffee and how, we're affecting, how it's affecting us. One major thing that's become pretty hot, especially with this bulletproof movement, is the okra toxin, these mycotoxins, mold toxins that are found in coffee. So it's believed that roasting helps kill all the mold, but mold mycotoxins, the toxins that it release, it doesn't kill. Actually, it's believed that 50 to 100% survive. Um, so really important for us is to know that, especially if you're dealing with mold, which most people don't even know if they're dealing with mold. I had a show, I had a whole show based on mold. We have to pay close attention if we are or may have mold sensitivity and coffee is part of our routine daily right? Because then we have to either get higher quality coffee or stop it as a whole. All right. So how do we search for coffee? Really important. Few things. Always has to be organic without a doubt, because as I mentioned, coffee is highly sprayed. And what does that mean? Well, that means that 95% of the beans are grown in organic conditions. What that means is no pesticides, no herbicides, no fertilizers, insecticides, sewer sludge, radiation. Like, why is that even in there in the first place? But by having that label, then we know that these beans are not subjected to such a toxic environment, okay? And you better believe if you're going to Dunkin' Donuts, 7-Eleven, Starbucks, drinking Maxwell House, Folgers, McDonald's coffee, they're not going to be using organic label coffee. I want you all to understand that if it has the organic label, that does not always mean, that actually doesn't mean anything about heavy metals. That USDA organic label does not mean devoid of heavy metals. I repeat, remember, it doesn't mean it's devoid of heavy metals. So that's an extra step that these labs should be taking or these companies should be taking. Um, I looked at a few coffee brands. Again, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't know all of them. So in my research, I found the best one so far that I found is a one called Purity Coffee Brand. Now, you know how I feel about transparency. And Purity actually was very transparent on the website. They have uh, a link where you can look at the lab results. And by using those lab results, they matched up against 46 different popular coffee brands, including Starbucks, Maxwell House, Folgers, Trader Joe's, um, Subtle Earth, Bulletproof, Onnit, Mercola. They, uh, and 42 as a whole, they matched up. And what we saw is that the 100% organic ones, they actually tended to have low um, heavy metals. Doesn't mean automatically, but they all tended to, because I saw the results of all of them. Um, they all had low, um, mycotoxin levels, which is great too, 
But what we saw is that what I liked about the Purity Coffee is that it had really high amounts of cholerogenic acid, which is so cool because that's the main polyphenol that you see in coffee, right? That is exerting all of those aforementioned effects that I spoke about before. So really, really cool to see that it was so high in this brand. It also has high trigonelline. That's a bitter uh, aroma that you smell in coffee. That's that constituent. And what that's been shown is to lower blood sugar, protect your nerves, and is, is an anti-cancer. So two of the constituents that are inherently in coffee um, are really, really high in this Purity Coffee brand, higher than all of the even popular uh, clean organic ones. So really cool. They have a website. Listen, I'm not funded by them. I just found out about them this morning. So I just wanted to let you all know that that's, that's probably the best one I found. Um, I know Bulletproof um, is supposed to be really good. They have their own proprietary roasting, all right, that minimizes all of the byproducts through the process. But really cool is that they look for mycotoxin. That's the whole thing. They're really big with mycotoxins. Now, they're not certified organic, but it's said that they work on very pure farms. That's not enough for me. So I called. I called this morning. I wanted to find out more. To be honest, I was disappointed because the um, the person on the other side couldn't even provide me with anything. Not e I mean, listen, like I said, a company should be able to be transparent, like Purity Coffee brand, right? You have lab results. You can look at their lab results through third-party testing and say, all right, look, here's the heavy metals. Here's the pesticides, herbicides. Here are the constituents in the coffee that are therapeutic, right? Here, uh, here are the mold levels. And I couldn't get anything out of Bulletproof. Now, I looked online. I couldn't find it. That's the reason I called. I called hoping they'd be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Look, I'll get a supervisor on the phone, and I'll tell you that our Bulletproof has negligible this, negligible that, negligible that. And you know what, Dr. Gonzalez? I'm going to send it to your email. That is a company that is really transparent. So Bulletproof, I'm told that I have to believe that they're doing everything really good and high quality. And as I said on episode two, I have trust issues. So until someone at Bulletproof says, Dr. Gonzalez, you got to do another show and, um, and vindicate us from this, then I, then I can't go anywhere with this. So um, Bulletproof, it's up in the air. Listen, it's better than Folgers. It's better than Maxwell. It's better than Starbucks. It's better than McDonald's. It's better than 7-Eleven. Because if you're getting your coffee there every single day, I assure you, product review, that would get an F across the board. So these are the take-homes. Remember, always organic label. And if the company says they're organic, ask for documentation, call them up. Because if you're having this every single day, if it's a one-time thing, you don't need to call anyone up. You don't need to do any research. But if it's part of your home practice, if it's part of your daily ritual, and you're going to be having it every day for more than a few months, then empower yourself to do your own research and call. Look for the organic label. Ask these companies and say, I want to see your um, heavy metal test your mold mycotoxin test, and I want to see how strong your constituents are in the coffee. And if they give you an issue, start questioning and look somewhere else. All right? And that's what I got to say about coffee. That's my product review. Stay away from the conventional ones. Look for your organic label. Get the high-quality ones. You deserve better, especially if it's part of your practice. Today's special guest, I'm so excited to be having her on. Um, we met about maybe a month ago, but uh, I've been following her work since. So impressed, so inspired, uh, knowing that she's helping so many people. We're really aligned, so uh, I don't want to wait any longer to introduce Dr. Jen Escare. <laughs> Pretty good? Thanks. Yeah, no, that was really good. Yeah. Could have rolled the R a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Escare. Ooh, very nice, very nice. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm glad that um, you live so near, so... I know. You know, you it's can... It's easy. Yeah. It's easy, yeah. yeah. So, um, a few things. Uh, we met recently. Um, I got on your work. I've been looking at your page um, and really inspired. You're helping a lot of people. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You too. I don't listen to many podcasts. So as soon as I heard your podcast, I was like, what is this? Yeah. She just told me this before. And if you saw the size of my head before the show and after, <laughs> it's a lot bigger. It's grew, it's grew a lot bigger. So I feel honored. I'm glad that, I'm glad that 
you know, the general population who's into health yeah. loves the show. But um, me as a practitioner, I love hearing when practitioners are listening too. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah cool. If, you know, you're finding, maybe learning some stuff. Yep. That's amazing. Well, I mean, and that's what I always believe is that we got to be working as one, you know, like I'm not going to be the expert in all the things, but if I can refer people out to who I know are the experts and who I trust in all these different areas, then win, win, win all around, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. And that's sort of like the integrative approach approach Mm -hmm. I take to medicine because, Mm -hmm. man, it's it's like, why do we have to have so many egos in the, the healthcare community and not be okay with saying, hey... I don't know anything about that, really. I'm not too good at it. Mm-hmm. Go out and to this person who's an expert, but we don't want to do that, right? I know. I know. I, I think it's tough for people to do that. And I think it's almost like that expectation of I have to know or the comparison game of other people. Well, they're, they're doing this, so I need to be doing this as well. Like I know a lot of chiropractors that are now functional medicine doctors because it's like, what is the next thing? What is the next thing that I need to know? So... I like, okay, how can I stay in my lane and how can I own what I know and then refer out to the people that I trust? And so that, like, even I talk about pelvic floor therapy all the time because I'm just trying to raise awareness about it because no one knows it's a thing. (laughs) But I'm not, like, I don't treat pelvic floor. Mm. I treat externally and I'll do exercises for that, but I refer out to a pelvic floor specialist. I see, Mm -hmm. I see, I see. And and that's that's the amazing part is that when we could take out that ego Mm -hmm. and really focus on something to be really good at and how we can serve people instead of being okay at 15 things. Yeah, exactly. Which is every, like you said, everyone is like, how can I be, how can I do the next thing? What about the next thing? Oh, can I get certified in this? It kind of drives me crazy, but thank you for being a practitioner like that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Thank you. So, so, uh, all right. Well, first of all, Tell us about uh, your journey, first of all, yeah. so we can get to know you a little bit and then <laughs> jump into some really good stuff. Yeah. Um, so background, like I've always been a mover. Um, I think, you know, I don't like the mentality of like you have to hit rock bottom in order to learn. I think you can, and that's one way to learn, but uh, there's also many other ways, and it's just by watching other people and really taking in the lessons from what other people have learned so that you continue to grow. So, like, for me, I didn't go from, you know, being fat to fit. I've actually, like, my entire life. Like, I remember this photo. I'm, like, five years old posing, and I'm like, oh, look at those hamstrings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've always been... Movement has been actually required in my life. Like, early on, we had to be in a sport through my, it was just my parents' requirement from like grade school all the way at least through high school, if not beyond. Um, So I was a gymnast, loved movement in high school. I really loved like anatomy and learning about the body. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into kinesiology, the study of human movement. Yeah, Yeah. perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that's when I started to become an aide in different areas, like worked at a chiropractic office, I taught Pilates, I coached gymnastics, I um, and then I was an aide at a physical therapy office. And I just like was obsessed with watching how a physical therapist would just like watch movement mm-hmm. or like feel movement in their hands. I'm always like, what are they feeling? And what are they looking at? And I just w- became fascinated in being able to help someone else along their journey within their body. And that's when I was like, okay, physical therapy, that's it. And whatever it takes, no matter how many loans, no matter how many times I have to apply, whatever. Like, that's where I was just like, I'm determined. Going to be a doctor of physical therapy. That's what you have to get now. There's no more master's programs. Um, But it's great. And I think that's almost what sets people apart. Like, I know a lot of people will go to, like, it's great to have a good massage therapist or a good personal trainer, but if you mix it, they don't necessarily know differential diagnosis or when to refer back to an MD or like how something could be referred from an organ. And like really knowing red flags, I think that's what makes a doctor physical therapy kind of stand out in terms of that kind of knowledge. A lot of people can know a lot about the body, but I just think there's a different, and that's why I speak so highly of physical therapists too. It's like I own that I'm a physical therapist um, just because if you want to really know where or why your pain is there, it not only is it a physical thing, it's a whole body thing and it's a whole environment thing. And knowing that you're going to someone who can actually guide you into the right place, I think that's the goal of physical therapy. Oh, interesting. And in, in, in the practice of physical therapy, do they stress 
like holism, like the whole body head toe, or is it like pain manifesting here, localized, let's just do it like that? Because I know there's a spectrum in every single yes. field, so I just want to know if it stands true in yours too. I think it depends, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I think in school, because they do have to, like there's so much information to get through and boards have to be the same nationwide, that it's still slower to kind of get back into the whole body thing. I think they do a much better job now, but it's still a little bit localized. I see. Yeah. And and a good physical therapist will continue to learn outside of that. And what are the other courses? How can I look at a person as a whole? How can I tie in their nervous system? How can I tie in their lymphatic system? How can I tie in their mindset and pain science and, and biomechanics? I know especially just in the realm of physical therapy, there's like a big swing. Like some people are only pain science and pain is only derived from the pain, from the brain. And then there's other people who are like, pain is only derived from our movements and our posture and our biomechanics. And I think there's a healthy balance. Like let's, let's incorporate it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> balance, balance. The, the most underused term is balance in yeah. our fields, right? Yeah. It's either dogmatic, black yeah. or white, rather than understanding that patients can benefit from everything everything and it always depends and it always depends because it's never true yeah. there's not one truth for never. every patient never it, yeah you come out hoping that it's that I easy know. but it's not it's I not know. easy at all i think it's so i have been on movement so much more than i was even last year wow because the first thing for many of us practitioners when we're doing so much work that at least maybe not on your 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 experience but my side is like we'll just give up going to the gym mm -hmm. or walking around mm -hmm. uh, instead of, for me, I value sleep so much mm -hmm. is that I'll sacrifice going to the gym. But now I'm making sure that there's at least 15, 20 minutes a day of movement, yeah. stretching, walking, jumping around. I did push-ups this morning. I had no time, but I did push-ups. You see what I mean? Like getting yes. that going. Um, I know you're passionate about that. Can yeah. you tell us how, how important is it for people to be moving? Oh my, it's everything. It, it determines our longevity of life. I mean, we've, it's been studied so many times. Exercise is part of your longevity if you want to live longer. And that just means in general, I mean, you can look up specific studies for different exercise, but literally it is, like you said, it's movement. It's getting into the body on a daily basis yeah. is the one number one important thing. And yeah, there's a lot of people, like even when I went to PT school, who stopped moving and stopped getting into their bodies. Um, and that has been such a high value of mine that I created me and my friend who I met in PT school, whose last name is also a scare, which is weird. Him and I were like brother, sister, like literally fought like brother, sister, studied together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we created a workout group together in PT school. So every lunch, like we would take people through, like I knew Pilates a lot. He knew weightlifting. We would do sprints. We'd do running. We'd do all That's these cool. like different things. And we would just, whoever wanted to come. And we'd usually have a group of like six to 10 people of the class, like always working out with us during lunch. And that's a thing like, am I going to sacrifice getting as much food or like sitting down and relaxing between classes? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm getting my movement in and I'm boosting my energy that way and I'm keeping my body healthy. And that was way more important to me. So we can always find when, you know, little bit of movement. And I tell people all the time, like, um, you can even be setting an alarm on your computer or setting an alarm on your phone where it tells you get up and move. And maybe it's going to get up and get a glass of water and making sure that you're doing some mindful movements and stretches when you're up out of your desk or like stand behind your chair and open up and stand. And I always tell people to like, be that person, be that weirdo in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Standing doing, up and doing yes, stretches. Everyone's like, what is this guy doing? doing stretches, yeah. Exactly. Uh, be that person at the airport. Like I have started so many conversations with random people just because they're wondering what I'm doing at an airport. And, and you never know who you're inspiring. Like you don't have to be an influencer with all these followers and all these things to be inspiring and, you know, making a difference in someone's life. Yeah. People are always watching. So like, what is it that you want to put out? And if, even if someone thinks you're a weirdo, maybe later they'll reflect on that and be like, well, actually, I probably judging that person because I'm not doing it myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think we're so inherently 
predisposed towards movement, evolutionarily speaking, mm -hmm. that's all we did. And now we're in this lifestyle where we're so sedentary. Yeah. And we know, I mean, there's so much behind uh, redu reduction in longevity, mm -hmm. sedentary lifestyle, um, and then adding in a crappy diet, of course, and everything yeah. else. But, yeah. but I, I want to stress to everyone listening that, like you said, you did it during your lunch break, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, like, what is that, an hour? Yeah. Yeah, an hour, everyone goes, changes, yeah. does the workout, changes back Do to like their clothes. Do like a 30-minute workout, have at least 15, 20 minutes to eat and chill and... Yeah, you're fine. Exactly, yeah. and you're fine. So even if you're, and this is what I do, but I've been doing in my lunch break in the office, I just go downstairs instead of staying, mm -hmm. ordering, eating, and then staying on my computer answering emails. I'll go and I'll walk up Hollywood Boulevard up and down yeah. as quick as I can. Exactly. Work up a sweat, come back. But I love that. We have to. We have to. And I even worked when I was uh, did my hospital stint for my clinicals. There was one older lady, uh, another PT, who would always do the stairs all the way up to the fifth floor, all the way down. And that was her lunch break. And so I would just start going with her. And I was like, how awesome is this? Why are the other PTs even not doing yeah. this with her? Yeah, practicing but, what you preach. But, you know, she was doing it. And and we're already walking around a hospital all day long, working with clients and working with patients. But she was mindful enough to be able to say, no, I'm going to do a specific number up and down every lunch break. And I thought that was amazing. So it's like we can create excuses all, all the time. But I think when we create excuses, we're not actually in appreciation of what we have. Yeah. And we're not acknowledging that yeah. until it's too late, until someone's like, oh, my God, I can't even, like, bend down. I can't even touch my toes. I can't even, like, reach overhead anymore. And we forget about these movements that we took for granted until they're gone. Yeah. And, and th that just reflects the way we approach everything, right? Mm -hmm. Our bodies don't do anything till pain comes. Mm -hmm. Don't do anything till disease comes, mm -hmm. right? Our relationships don't do anything till it's on the brink of falling yeah, apart. Exactly. Right. And, uh, so the whole, a big part of this show is empowering people to be proactive yeah. and learning what we can do. So what are some tips then? Like, let's mm -hmm. say someone who's not as active as you, yeah. uh, what can we do if we are in a, an accounting office, nine to five crunching numbers? Yeah. I think the first thing is like nothing is going to sustain unless you have a why behind it, right? And I mean, that's the same, like you're not going to have a podcast continuing on if you, unless you have a why behind why you're putting it out. I'm not going to, my, my Instagram has organically grown through five years because I've maintained consistency on it every single day, putting out value that people would want to see. Like nothing's going to continue unless I know why I'm doing it. And so that's the first thing. Like it's not, I could tell you all different reasons of how you can get into your body and what you could do, but unless you know why it's not going to be important. So like my why, like, yes, I was continuing a mover. That's always been a part of my lifestyle that was ingrained with me as a kid. But in PT school is actually when it like even got deeper into my being and who I was because I saw this one guy, he has cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair and lived completely on his own, like took care of himself, made his own bed, did his own meals, got himself around. And this is a person who has so, like severe contractures and has to get around in a wheelchair. And yet he would put himself down, like watching him put on his shoes and put on his, sh his shirt it took like 20 minutes and it was hard to watch because you just want to help him. But he does it and he's like, no, like, don't help me. I got this. I'm good by myself because this is, he's appreciating what he has and this is what my body has to do. So this is what I, this is what I'm going to do. And we don't do that. We don't appreciate what we have right now. And so if we could wake up every morning and like, oh my God, I can sit out of bed. Oh my goodness, I can touch my feet on the floor. I have legs that can hold me up. I can walk, I can move. Until we get back into the appreciation of what this body's even doing for us every day, I don't think you're gonna have appreciation of moving it, no matter who and how many times people tell you how. I mean, the how is everywhere, right? We're on- Everywhere, different everywhere. ways too. Everywhere, yeah. it's on YouTube, it's on Instagram. You can scroll through my thing, it's yeah. everywhere. But that doesn't matter unless you know why, unless you're actually appreciating what your body's able to do for you. And then 
beyond, I mean, even this young girl, I, I talk about these people all the time because I just want to ingrain it in people's head over and over again. Another young woman had junior rheumatoid arthritis, six surgeries in her body, could barely bend her arm to like 90 degrees, could barely open her legs, and yet she was running every day and doing yoga. Mm, yeah. And it's like, th like, they don't focus on what they don't have. They focus on what they do have and the ability of what their body can do for them. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. And if we start to do that, rather than, oh, I can't touch my toes, I can't run, I can't, I can't lift weights, I can't do this. Like, oh, my chiropractor said, this is wrong, so I can't load my body. I can't, like, just move. Yeah, just move, mm -hmm. big time. And <laughs> that's part of what I do here is I, I, I explain the importance of gratitude mm -hmm. in the morning uh, and saying the most basic stuff. Like, I woke up on a bed. You know what I thought about last night? I was, I was laying on my bed and I was like, damn, if I was laying on the floor, that would suck. Yeah. Right? I was thinking about how comfortable my bed is. Oh, my God. And I thought about the blanket. And I was like, well, if I didn't have a blanket, it's kind of cold in my room right now. I'd be like, that would kind of suck, too. Mm -hmm. And then you start doing that appreciation just by, you know, taking away those things that you take for granted. Yeah. So then can we wake up and go, well, damn, I'm breathing today. I feel like I think, well, I'm happy to breathe. I'm happy that I'm getting up to brush my teeth. Right? So... The simplicity of that can go a long way with the appreciation. So I love 100%. that you say that. You have to instill why. You have to. So the why being so important, and I really appreciate you saying that because sustainability in anything, even in medicine, yeah. why are we taking care of our health? Why do we want to change our situation? Otherwise, you're not going to keep eating this diet. Yeah. You're not going to take this protocol. Oh, you're yeah. not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything. And I, it was like really apparent to me, actually... Um, I used to, I got LASIK and I'm so happy because <laughs> I used to have contacts and for a long time, like I think since elementary school, I've had contacts growing up. And so eventually they, my eyes started to just not like them anymore. <laughs> and I was getting red eyes um, when I was wearing them, but I couldn't even feel it. Like it, I didn't, it didn't hurt or anything, but people would be like, oh, you've got red eyes. And I went to one eye doctor and he was like, oh, just take this little bottle of it cost like $50 at the time, which grad student, that's expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't tell me why. He didn't tell me what was wrong with my eyes or anything. So I took it for a little bit and I was like, this isn't working. Go back to my clear eyes. And it just, the problem wasn't getting any better. And so I went to another eye doctor and he literally like laid out pictures for me, showed me what was happening with my eye, why this was happening, why this little bottle of like $50 would be so important and why I should be taking it however many times I was supposed to and what that would actually do. And I started crying. Yeah. And not because I was like, oh my God, my eyes, but because I actually knew yeah. why this was important and someone took the time to explain that to me. And that became like groundbreaking for me and and what I was committed to having within my clients. I love that. It's empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that not empowerment? Exactly. I sit with a patient, I'll open their labs and I'll go, here is why. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, well, you're high in this, you're low in this yep. and you know, we got This is what you should take. And this, this is what, is what you, you should, should take. It's yeah. crazy. They'll bring their conventional labs and we'll go and I'll, I'll tell them, look, this is what's trending. Mm -hmm. This is what maybe you're not looking at and this is what's not being told. Exactly. Why, why, why? Yes. Okay. And I go back to it all the time and like even with, um, I know there's a lot of therapists and we're like, well, my client just didn't do their exercises. The patient didn't maintain, so of course they got worse, or of course they didn't get better, whatever. And you blame it on the patient. You blame it on the client. Well, I blame it on the therapist. Well, then you didn't make them understand why those exercises would be important. Yeah. You didn't empower them and, and show them like even how or why they can implement it into their day. Yeah. If you don't make it easy, who's going to do it for an yeah. hour? <laughs> yeah. And then they're not, and then they can make an informed decision. Yeah. Right. They can go, all right, I know why it's good for me, yes. but I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and put it on them. Let yeah. them, let them be empowered enough. I love that. Okay. Okay. So, so we have that. Everybody ask why. Yes. Empower yourself. Ask yourself why, ask yourself why, and then go about doing your business. Um, so how, tied in is uh, your posture and movement to breathing and the importance of breathing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been totally dumbfounded with in the whole movement of properly breathing. You know, <laughs> yeah. we had a functional dentist talking about just anatomical 
obstacles to breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get a, a breath coach coming in here in a oh, few great. weeks too. Yeah, great. so she's coming in. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Breath, breathing. <laughs> yeah, we're all doing it, right? What is wrong with it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't like to say that it's like wrong, you know, right, whatever. It's just what's more efficient for your body and why. Again, what's the intention behind it? What is it going to do for you? And I think, and I always go back to the most simplistic way to think about it because it makes it actually easy, attainable, like something you can add into your life. So if we think of just like a regular breath cycle, we have the inhale and we have the exhale phase. Mm -hmm. Now there's different parts. So the inhale phase is going to be related more to your sympathetic, your stress, your your reactive state, the fight flight area. And we think about this like someone scares you and you, Mm -hmm. and you breathe in Mm -hmm. and you hold it. That's that inhalation phase. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that phase. Like if we're gonna live in that inhalation or have that be longer than your exhalation, you're probably living in a more stressful state. Ah, that's a good rule of thumb to just think about. Exactly. Okay. And that's what also drives me crazy when people are like, oh, take a deep, relaxing breath. And it's like, (gasps) Mm -hmm. (sighs) and I'm always like, "Ah!" it didn't actually do anything. (laughs) I see. I see. I I understand what you're saying. Because then if we look at the exhalation phase, think about going to get a massage and you're like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long exhale. It makes you relax. So that's that parasympathetic rest, relax state. So that's like the simplest way we can look at it, right? So now we think, okay, why? And what does it matter? Now, if I stay in my inhalation phase, more so throughout the day, I'm probably also utilizing a lot more accessory muscles along my neck and along my chest that don't need to be working as much. So if I'm taking like shorter inhales, I'm getting stressed, I'm probably using my shoulders, I'm using, I'm breathing up. Mm-hmm. And when we breathe up, that's telling our brain that we're kind of in a guarding state. Mm-hmm. It needs to be on guard because maybe a bear's chasing you. Yeah. It doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just knows that it needs to be on guard. Well, when it does that as well, it's going to like pour more cortisol into the body. It's going to increase those stress levels. It's going to heighten your sensitivity to pain. So even like back spasms, um, any kind of pain that you experience, even if it's acute or chronic, I don't care, your pain sensitivity to pain, so just that sensation is going to be heightened even when we're in that inhalation phase. So you can automatically switch that out by switching into the exhalation phase. Mm. So that means you're going to do a shorter inhale and a longer exhale and really focus on when I say, you know, when I talk about too, if we're really focusing on the inhalation rather than getting a heightened inhalation, because we think, oh, that's what's going to fill up my lungs. Mm -hmm. Actually, your lungs fill up by your diaphragm dropping and your diaphragm, in order for it to have more space, it rests underneath the rib cage. So we actually need the rib cage to expand forward and back and side to side to side. Mm-hmm. So I usually have people place their hands like on their low rib cage and have them feel that because not only do you want the belly, but the people have like hammered in belly breathing. And I used to get patients in that would like be like, oh, I'm doing really good with my belly breathing. And their bellies are just like forcing in and out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, actually your rib cage isn't moving at all, Mm. which is where the diaphragm rests. So you're actually not doing anything different Mm -hmm. (laughs) than you were before. You're just now knowing how to force your belly in and out. So rather than just focusing on the belly, I like to have people focus on the low rib cage and have feel their hands as they breathe in. You want to feel your hands kind of open forward and back and side to side. Mm-hmm. And then as you breathe out, and I like to say you can retrain the strength of your diaphragm by breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth really, really slow, like you're blowing through pursed lips or like blowing up a balloon. Mm-hmm. And so if you breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, like a four-second inhale, an eight-second exhale, and feel those hands. Feel them fill in on the inhale and feel them fill out and come closer together on the exhale. Um, So not only is that going to automatically tap into that parasympathetic system, so you're going to get into that rest, relax. You're going to decrease those stress and cortisol levels. You're going to decrease that sensitivity to pain. Mm But now also you're, you're working kind of your internal core as well. So by getting that rib cage to start to move better, you're turning on your transverse abdominis. You're kind of putting that pressure on the pelvic floor to start to learn how to 
how to move better and yeah. how to feel better. Um, and so automatically you start to realign your body just by focusing on what that rib cage is doing. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Little do you know, I've been doing that practice while this whole time we Great. were talking. I was just, <laughs> that's why I was so silent. I was yeah. totally focusing on purse lip breathing. Yeah. Um, everything short, short of the hands on the rib cage. That's really cool. That's a, that's a great take home stress reducing technique, yeah. pain reducing technique, better mm -hmm. breathing. Breathing is everything. It really, it's your foundation. Right. I mean, and we look at when a baby comes out and we see their bellies just mm. breathing mm. without anyone thinking about it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where, especially for women, society has gone into like chest up, boobs out, belly in. Mm -hmm. And that's done and I mean, not only does that mess up posture, but it messes up posture because we're, we're losing our foundation of efficient breathing mm -hmm. patterns. Yeah. And when, if we can get back into efficient breathing patterns, relax in the belly, <laughs> then you actually get your, your system to start to align without even having to think about it. And that's always my goal. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hammer you into these positions that you're supposed to be in <laughs> yeah. and have it be Hold a natural. Hold it all day. Yeah. yeah. That's not natural. <laughs> yeah. But getting your body into a relaxed state that is more efficient for its movement pattern, even if that's sitting or standing, um, that's really where that's yeah. home. Yeah, our breathing is always better after massage, right? And then mm -hmm. we don't think about it, but then, you know, the next day we're back to holding it in and, yeah. you know, breathing from our chest without exactly. even moving our diaphragm, just short breaths. Um, exactly. It's great, it, but isn't it incredible how the body takes these signals mm -hmm. and then tells the rest of the body, oh, we're in danger. Yep. It, and that's it so amazing. And that's where a lot of people, like, even if they've, like, oh, I have chronically tight hamstrings, I can't t ever touch my toes. I'm like, well, how is your breathing going? Mm -hmm. Because your body is, like, naturally going to be on guard more, especially if you're going to go forward. Your body's like, nope, can't yeah. go forward. <laughs> so I've even had clients where it's, like, even raising their arms, it was, like, shaking. Yeah. Because that's how intense they are in their nervous system. Yeah. Or And I could tell a lot of this, like, go get a massage or work with your therapist. If they're telling you to relax a lot, mm -hmm. like, you can't relax in your body, that especially go back to the breathing. Yeah. Because that means your nervous system is kind of, like, always on guard. Yeah. And it doesn't trust. Yeah, this is so true. I can attest to this because I've been doing those movements with Jacqueline. Mm -hmm. And I can't. Like I'll, I'll get into the position, go for the stretch, and I'm nowhere near yeah. anywhere. I'm, I'm like, I'm tight. Look at, like, yeah. she'd be like, all right, let's breathe. Yeah. Do we do a few breaths? And then as I'm breathing out, I feel my body going deeper, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, that my body was just holding on tight, saying, mm -hmm. we're in danger. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I'm at like my my tight body paradigm is being endangered with, <laughs> yeah, with flexibility. Exactly. No, we have to stay Someone's here. trying to break this. Oh, I no. know. Don't break this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so, so that mindset of just the deep seated belief that, you know, we can't get better we're, we, this is our body. This mm -hmm. is, you know, and I've been there. Um, I'm sure you see people who come to you and, and they say they have these deep rooted mindsets that they can't get better. They, mm -hmm. they don't deserve to be better. Mm -hmm. How do you even address that now? Like, is that, is that part of your scope of what you do or, um, for me, I always say, like, my scope is just opening up space. Okay. And in a typical physical therapy office, I would say you don't even have time to be doing that. <laughs> Most physical therapy offices, it's just like, run, 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 next patient, next patient, put them with the aid, do this. Like, and you only have time to look at body parts because mm -hmm. you have to document on it. You have to tell the insurance company what special tests you did, why you did it, what exercise, what, like, ugh that don't understand how a human works. We don't work in parts. Yeah. We work in conjunction. For sure. And not only from head to toe, but in our environment. Mm -hmm. And and so for me I just I'm not like I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not trying to be one and I will refer out mm -hmm. as often as necessary. But I'm also just walking along someone's journey with them because I'm not there to fix them. I can never fix someone there. I'm facilitating them unless I'm an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> yeah. I'm facilitating the pathway for you to get back into you. Um, and so a lot of times I do that just by opening space to hear what's happening when their pain is happening, I think is a really key one. Um, and it's not just to determine what body movements are happening at that time, but it's also determine what environment are you in? Yeah. Sure. And that's where I'm able to guide people to see it themselves. Like I've had numerous clients, so many clients where it's like, like even not that long ago I had a client, she was like, 
Um, I usually see clients on Mondays. And so over the weekend, she was like, oh, my pain wasn't feeling that bad. And I was like, dang it, I want it to be bad because I'm going to go see Jen. (laughs) And I was like, okay, let's look at that. So it was bad Monday through Friday, but it wasn't as bad Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what do you think was different? And she's like, well, sitting and being at work. I'm like, okay, yeah. But were you not sitting at all, like Saturday and Sunday? Were you in the car? Were you doing? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So what else could be different? And I'm asking those questions just so I can get someone else to start to see, like, oh, well, I guess I wasn't at work. I wasn't in a stressful environment. Mm -hmm. I got to be around my family. I got to do some fun things. Like, and getting someone else to see that, like, oh, this is how stress actually plays a role into Mm -hmm. my pain. Mm -hmm. And get them to see why this breathing weird stuff would be important. (laughs) Yeah, you're so right about that. I mean, who doesn't just feel better on Mm -hmm. the weekends? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's crazy how the environmental uh, influence Mm-hmm. can affect the way our body manifests. Oh, yeah. I mean, even think about, like, the people you're around. Maybe some people stress you out and you feel a little bit more pain or yeah. discomfort or tightness in the body based on even who you're around. Mm-hmm. And that's where true listening and the art of listening into your body really starts to play into a role. And we have to, maybe sometimes that starts with journaling to start yeah. to see, like, well, when when is this different stuff happening? Mm-hmm. When does my back feel tighter? When do I have pain? Who was I around? What environment was I in? What foods was I eating? What movements were I doing? And if we can start to put all of that yeah. into play, like that's gold right there. That's golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and listen, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of having really poor, um, poor connection with what manifestation my body's showing me because mm-hmm. I seem to just be so busy on the outside world, mm-hmm. you know, that you just let my body go by the wayside. Right. As I got older, I'm like, all right, I'm going to pay attention to this now. This has been here for quite a while. What the heck does this mean? When did this start? um, Because it becomes a new normal. Our Mm -hmm. body's so incredible at adapting Mm -hmm. to even pain, right? It's our new normal. We're we're so amazing at that. But but it doesn't mean it's our new healthy. But I think we've also been trained and conditioned into that. Like as a society, we're trained to wait until we feel the symptom and then mask it, not listen to it. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference of what I'm trying to drive people back into is the listening, not the masking. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even myself too, like I grew up with stomach aches all the time and it could have been due to my bean and cheese burritos and flan, (laughs) chocolate milk too, that I would have all the time. Probably. Probably. Um, But I would just have gas X, like literally pop Tums or gas X in my mouth all the time. Need to lay down. I knew what positions felt better, but I knew how to mask it. Yeah. I didn't know what I was actually listening for. Yeah. Yeah. You became a pro at masking it. Pro. And that's what our society knows. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like, uh, uh, they they come down with a headache, right? And they go, oh, well, let's take uh, the Tylenol again. It always works without understanding, well, maybe what did I eat the day before Mm -hmm. or today? You know, where was I? Did I sleep? Yeah. You know, it's so amazing. But ladies and gentlemen, let's be more proactive, right? 100%. I mean, it's the same with, I'm going to call some people out. It's the same with going and just like you feel a little ache in your back, go to the chiropractor and get an adjustment. No one else can fix you. I said this from the beginning. We can facilitate the pathway. But what we're really doing, if someone is working on you, if you're getting a massage, if you're getting someone to do some grasping techniques on you, if you're getting manipulated or adjusted or any of this, but you're laying passive the entire treatment, you're going to feel better for the moment and it's going to mask the symptom, but I guarantee it's going to come back. It always comes back. Always. I've gotten all those. <laughs> it always comes back. Exactly. Right? So so the true healer is saying, all right, we, we can help you now, yeah. but let's empower you to learn why yes. Right? Why, Why that and, was even happening in yeah, the first place. And be more proactive. Yeah, and so, get to the cause of it. So you don't have to come back to me. Exactly. You know what I tell a patient? I say, listen, 
let's facilitate empower you and i hope i never see you again after yeah, our last visit right exactly. hopefully you call in and say six months from now dr g i'm feeling good yeah i don't know what you did but see you later and if you need to be facilitated a little bit more or something in life yeah, happens like exactly. sure come back and like we'll adjust from there but like the goal is to get you to do it yourself if someone is convincing you you need to come in two to three times a week yeah. and you're only going to passively be passive means you're laying there doing nothing. Mm -hmm. If there is nothing active that you're contributing to or taking home, that's when you should be worried and start saying, is this clinician really working for me or is my money? Yeah, exactly. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Because that's out there. You know, people want to make some money. Yeah. So, um, what do you, what do you, are you working on anything? Anything's lined up? Um, let's hear about, also where people could find you, all yeah. the everything yeah. we, we, we want to know. Um, so my thing, I have put out um, the mobility method, and that one is really to empower people to get back into their own bodies and self-assess. Um, because I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all plan, and I don't like, so I'm not going to show you the 12 steps to mobility, because it going to be different in everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the mobility method, you really go in and you self-assess your entire body from head to toe. And then based on your restrictions and what you find, you then have, there's different modules and there's different kind of guidelines. Well, if this is restricted, here are some exercises that can help. If this is restricted, here are some exercises. But now it's up to you to decide, okay, these ones would be good before I get out of bed. These ones would be good to, in order to get me out of my chair and moving at work. Mm -hmm. These ones are good before, two minutes before I do a workout, two minutes after I do a workout whatever it may be, like the intention also is I know in my life, like I can't add, don't ask me to add in an hour of exercise on top of what I already do. Like I'm, it's no shot. It's not yeah. going to be done. But just like brushing my teeth for two minutes every morning and night, I can do that. I can add in two minutes before I get out of bed, yeah. two minutes before I work out, two minutes after I work out. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Yeah. And then that throughout the day is what's going to build up to be what is needed for my body. Yeah. So that's true efficiency. Mm -hmm. I, I can attest to that. Like I'm adding in, I'm doing my push-ups. Yeah. Right. If I can't get to the gym, the, at the very least, I'm doing my push-ups. Exactly. Now how I split them, if I do them in one shot or mm -hmm. maybe I do, I don't know, 25 right before brushing my teeth. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And, and you're empowering people to make their own decisions on yeah. how to incorporate your work. Yeah into their day. Yeah. Because again, it doesn't work the same for everyone. No, it doesn't. And where your pain is doesn't mean that's the problem. That means that's the symptom. And, and feeling that pain isn't bad. We, it's actually beautiful. I always say that too. Like pain is an alarm system. If we don't have that alarm system within our body, we yeah. have breakdown. Yeah. So pain isn't the breakdown. Not feeling pain would be the breakdown. Mm -hmm. Pain is actually something you get to be appreciative of, but understand that that is not the cause. So actually yeah. assessing or going to someone that's going to do a full assessment on you and really look at your environment, look at your entire body and tell you what, why this pain happened. That's beautiful. And, and if you can do that on your own, beautiful. And physical therapists can assess us like this, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure because people are going to be like, well, where do I, where do right, I get right, an assessment? Right, right. Okay. Really cool. So that mobility method is where? Where do uh, we get it? DocGenFit.com. Okay, DocGenFit.com. And then you have an awesome Instagram yeah, that... DocGenFit. Uh, DocGenFit. <laughs> and then we can, uh, let's say, if you just want to check it, there's so much that we can do with our bodies so on it yeah. and, and teaching, right? Yeah. Um, but if you want to personalize it, go more into the method. Yeah. But yeah, check out that. I mean, look, I'll, I'll go on and I'll be like, this is good. This is a really good workout. How come I didn't think about this? And the nice thing is it's like, I'll know my day is full. Yeah. Damn, I'm not going to get to the gym today. But I also will know that I can do 15 minutes of something quick. Yeah. Right? And you and you give us like those, you know, digestible, real quick, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I, I also did the Optimal Body, which is more of a membership. So it's a monthly basis. It's going to change every month. And that's where you don't have to think. The, mo the, the mobility method, you really have to go in and think. You have to self-assess. got to take some time. you got to yeah. figure out what works for you. 
the optimal body I created so that people don't have to think as much and they can have something that's more free and grabbing. They can have functional HIIT workouts they could do at home. They can have, um, they could have different mobility flows for different parts of the body. They can okay. have core workouts that actually teach them what the core is, how yeah. the pelvic floor is incorporated into that, and how to progress that. And I've had different experts. I've had Jacqueline on before. Yeah. And, I ha- and, I, and I love getting people not only to learn from me, but being able to learn from other people yeah. is huge. That's amazing. I love that. And then, again, incorporating different mindsets and Mm -hmm. approaches. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we're experts at what we know, know. but then we bring in, that's beautiful. And that can be found on the website too? Yeah. Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, you have everything you need. (laughs) It's all there. (laughs) To to be flowing. Yeah. To be breathing right. Yeah. Right? To have a, a strong body. So please check that out. Um, is there any other projects you have where like talks, anything where we can follow you or anything? Um, I always have talks pop up like around different areas. Um, nothing set in stone right now. There's a little healthcare meetup on Sunday. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, and then otherwise my app should be coming out soon where you can actually, um, like all my Instagram videos will be there, but it'll actually be searchable. You're able to type in like low back pain, knee pain, and all the videos for that would would show up so that it just makes it a little bit more accessible. Instagram isn't it's accessible. Not, it's not. No, <laughs> that's a crazy part. Like if, if like last year, let's say someone sees a great video, they're like, oh, damn, where do I go yeah, now? Exactly. Like, now I was it through. November? What yeah. was I doing when I watched yeah. the video? And then you have to like, type there, uh, find out the date. But that's nice. Like lower back pain. Yeah, uh, it just makes it searchable. And look, that's not going to be like your, again, there's no one size fits yeah. all. So you could try them and see if it helps. But um, it's still just my way to provide education, get you thinking about the body. I mean, I've had people, I love it when people are like, stop me and they're like, oh, I incorporated your shoulder video you posted the other day and I, I don't have shoulder pain. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. That's cool. <laughs> and, and it feels good, right? To oh hear my that? God. I'm like, yes. Okay. I'm actually doing good for love the world. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you for uh, having me. Yeah. So the website was? DocGenFit.com. And the Instagram was? DocGenFit. Okay. And anything else? <laughs> Any other Facebook? Facebook, YouTube. It's all DocGenFit. Okay. Consistent across the You all the know board. the name. Okay. All right. <laughs> so thank you for coming and uh, empowering everyone how to be better in their bodies, stronger, knowing what to look for. I mean, that's amazing stuff. Thank you. Thank you.